Hey, we're in 1 Kings 18. You guys know what we've been doing a series called Prophets and Kings. We've been looking at the gospel of Jesus through the lens of the prophets and kings. Remember, the gospels don't start in the book of Matthew. It starts in Genesis. We see the story of Jesus throughout the scriptures. And there's so much, um, there's just so much here. If you remember last week, the way we ended in 1 Kings 18 was a showdown between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. And basically, Elijah says, hey, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. We know what happens. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. Oh, the Lord is God. That's what the people chant. The Lord, he is God. And they followed him. Uh, there's like a short-term revival. It didn't last very long. As we know, northern Israel didn't last very long at all. Uh, but here's what we're going to see next. We're going to see Elijah. Basically, there's a drought in the land. Elijah's going to be praying now. And um, here's the thing. We want to kind of approach the two weeks before Easter just with this prayerful heart. We want to be expectant in our prayers. We want to pray like Elijah did. Our hope is that Elijah, he was a man like us, and he prayed, and God poured out rain, and we're going to pray and ask for God to pour out his spirit. Um, our hope is we have two weeks. We want to be very intentional. So here's what I'm going to do. I actually got the week um, off in some ways to get ready for Easter. So we have uh, Pastor Brian Saylor, who's here from Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, and he is the campus and teaching pastor there. Very excited to have him. Why don't you show uh, Pastor Brian some love as he comes up here and shares the word. So thankful. Thank you, dude, for being here. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Oh, let me give you this. Yeah. Mine. Hey, good morning. What a privilege it is to be with the exchange. Um, as Pastor Josiah said, uh, my name's Brian, and uh, I come from Melbourne, just about two hours up the road, and uh, it's a great privilege to be uh, with you guys. Um, how many know, though, that uh, Pastor Josiah last week, um, who was here last week? Raise your hand if you're here last week. Okay, uh, you heard about the showdown, uh, Elijah uh, versus the prophets of, of Baal. That's how I call it because I'm from the south. But uh, how many also know he talked about uh, a showdown between Coco and Thumper? Is that right? <laughs> have you had that, like, have you used that illustration before? I just want to let you guys know, like, when you're a pastor and you got a good illustration like that, and he waited this long to tell you all that, like, first off, that shows a lot of res restraint and self-control, but that, that was amazing. Like, I was locked in, and I'm glad to hear, like, you haven't been reported. You're still able to be out and about in society, <laughs> doing fighting bunnies and all that stuff. If you didn't, if you didn't, uh, if, you di if you missed it, uh, don't worry. You know, nothing sketchy was happening or anything like that. Um, yeah, so as, as he said, um, I'm Brian, uh, and just a little bit about me as we get started. I think I have a picture on the screen of my family. Uh, I have a wife, Katie, and I have uh, two boys, Isaiah and Malachi. Uh, Isaiah is almost three years old, and uh, Malachi is almost one year old. And uh, uh, Malachi is kind of at that age where, uh, if your parents, you know this, like there comes an age where they trick you into being like, we could do another one, you know? And so we're not at the point of announcing that yet or anything. Uh, we're still just in like conversation talks, but we're like, he's so cute. Like, let, like we should do one more, you know? Um, I remember when we had that conversation with Isaiah and then Malachi came and we we're like, what were we, what, what, what were we thinking? You know, we weren't, we're not prepared for this. Um, but uh, just to recap really quick, actually, I, I want to say one more thing. Sorry, before we dive in. Um, I just want to take a moment and say uh, how grateful I am to be at the exchange. And uh, yeah, we can clap. Give it up for your church. Um, I want you to know if you are a part of this church that you're at an amazing church. Um, I want you to know uh, that you have a great pastor, Pastor Josiah, who is an incredible Bible teacher. Um, he really 
knows what he's saying, and, and he has an incredible heart to see you guys encounter Jesus, but you also have an incredible team. Um, I, I, I drove up with a, a couple of guys from Melbourne today, and we had a chance to be in your team prayer meeting, and you guys have an incredible team of people who is excited to see God move in Deerfield Beach. Amen? And, and so, man, I just want to um, honor you guys if you're on the team. Uh, it takes uh, an army to uh, make an elementary school every week turn into this beautiful place where we get to come in here and to encounter God. Um, it takes an army to, uh, to make sure that your kiddos are in a good place, to, to do the hospitality, to do the worship. And so I'm grateful for you guys. And uh, I also just want to say one more thing, and then I promise we are going to dive in. And that is that if, if you're new here um, and this is your first week, you have to come back next week, okay? Because I'm not the normal guy. So even if you leave and you're like, I don't like that guy, you have to come back next week because Pastor Josiah is going to be here, okay? All right, so let's dive in. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18. And as he said, um, there is two kingdoms. The, the, the Israel started as one united kingdom. But uh, after Solomon, um, the kingdom was divided. The north Israel, pretty much all of the kings in the north, were evil and bad. The southern kingdom, Judah, there were a few good kings and a lot of bad kings. Eventually, they both kind of ended up in demise. But during this time of cultural chaos and of cultural decline, during this time, God raised up prophets. And prophets were men and women of God who spoke to the culture and who spoke God's truth and God's heart and God's word to a declining and a decaying culture. And of the prophets, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. Um, we learned last week that he is still renowned as one of the greatest prophets. And even in Jewish festivals and ceremonies, they still set a seat aside for Elijah. And we're going to learn some interesting things about Elijah today. Uh, Elijah's had an incredible life. This is week three that you guys are kind of studying through the life of Elijah. He prayed for a drought. Uh, God provided for him through ravens. Um, he, uh, he like basically saved the life of a widow, healed her son. Then last week he had this epic showdown that was basically a parallel to Thumper and Coco's showdown. And now verse 41, here we're at, and here it goes. It says this, Elijah said to Ahab, that is the king at the time, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. So he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and he said, there is nothing. So the servant is, is so Elijah, he's, he's on the top of Mount Carmel. He's in a posture of humility. He's kneeling, his face is on the ground and he's praying. And after he finishes praying, he tells his servant, hey, I'm still praying. You go out and look towards the sea. Now, um, in Israel, on Mount Carmel, it's an actual location. Um, when I got to go to Israel, I went to Mount Carmel. On the first day, I went to Israel, and we got there, and they said, Mount Carmel is closed. So I've been to the bottom of Mount Carmel, okay? <laughs> I wish I could describe to you when I stood on Mount Carmel and looked to the sea. Didn't st stand there. Didn't see it, okay? Because, uh, but, but I've heard, I've heard that when you stand on the top of Mount Carmel, you can look out and you can see um, the Mediterranean Sea out there. So he says, look out. 
And listen, it says, and the servant, he went and looked, and he said, there is nothing. And Elijah said, go again, seven times. So prayer, go look, there's nothing. Prayer, go look, there's nothing. Prayer, go look, there's nothing. Now, seven times, and it says this, on the seventh time, the servant said this, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now, there has been a drought for three years plus now. But now, in this moment, there's a little cloud rising from the sea. And Elijah said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Uh, Mount Carmel is, is kind of in a high place, and Jezreel is down in the valley. And so uh, if Ahab didn't take off and head down there, his chariot would have gotten stuck with the rain. And so Ahab's like driving home, trying to beat the rain. And check out this little detail. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of, his, of Jezreel. So just a little light half marathon that Elijah ran after the epic day where he basically proved that the, the, um, the prophets of Baal uh, were, were false prophets. He slaughtered them all, then he prays for rain, and then to top it all off, he's like, let me just run a light half marathon from the top of the mountain down to Jezreel. Now, here's what we're going to do today. I want to share a message with you called, Look Again. Look Again. And it's a message about prayer. You guys have been studying the life of Elijah for these few weeks now. And we have discovered that Elijah is a powerful hero of the faith. But what's interesting is, and Josiah said it a little bit ago, that uh, the book of James actually gives us a little bit of commentary and a little bit of insight into how God viewed Elijah. And it's up on the screen if you want to check it out. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says this. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, we can stop right there. I love that verse. That if your heart is to seek after God, if your heart is to obey and follow God, then what James is saying is that your prayer has power as you offer it to God. And here's the proof. He says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The Berean translation says, Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, I just want to highlight this term that James uses. He says, Elijah is a man just like us. Now, after I have just read the story of Elijah, you guys have listened and been thinking about the story of Elijah for the past three weeks, and I have thought a lot of things about Elijah. I have been incredibly amazed by Elijah, but I have never thought to myself, that guy is just like me, right? I feel like that's like saying, man, Neymar, soccer player, just like me. LeBron, him and I, basketball players, together, yeah? Right? Like worship team, Taylor Swift and us, we are all musicians, right? Like there's a similarity, like, like the things are common between us, but there is a lot of difference between how I see Elijah and how I see myself. 
And we have to remember whenever we study the Bible that Jesus is the hero of the Bible, okay? And so when we look at the Bible, we don't look at, our, uh, we don't look at the Bible and say, I must be the hero of this. The Bible is about Jesus and the gospel and that God saves us. He is the hero. But scripture does give us examples. And what James is saying here is that Elijah is an example for us. In other words, we should not read the story of Elijah like we watch a Marvel movie. When we watch a Marvel movie, there are all these incredible special effects that we see. And although the special effects are incredibly real, we also look at that and we realize it's a special effect because it could never really happen in real life. Now, we're not supposed to read the story of Elijah and be like, oh, that's kind of a crazy story. Something like that could never happen in real life. We're supposed to read it and think Elijah was like me. He prayed and powerful things happened. What could happen if me as a person who is a follower of Jesus, a, a person of faith, prays, could I see powerful things happen? Could Exchange Church see God move in a powerful way in Deerfield Beach? That's what we're supposed to be considering as we read this story. And so I want to share this message, look again, and really I have four things that I want to talk about. First, we're going to talk about place of prayer. Second, we're going to talk about posture of prayer. Third, persistence in prayer. And then last, a paradox of prayer. So that's kind of the outline, just so you know I have a plan. Sometimes when people listen, they're like, where's he going? That's proof I have a plan, okay? <laughs> now, if the Holy Spirit takes over, okay, like, you know, then, then we might move off the plan. But that's the plan. All right, here we go. So first off, we're going to talk about the place of prayer. The place of prayer. And notice in 1 Kings chapter 18 in verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of rushing rain that I want you to notice this. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. I want you to notice that there is a difference between what Ahab did and what Elijah did. There is a separation between the two. Ahab went to eat and drink. Elijah separated himself and prayed. Now, this was a crazy day for Elijah. I would imagine it's one of the top one crazy days of his life. And he had an insane day from calling down fire from heaven. Even for Elijah, that was a lot. He had a crazy day in that he uh, is, is basically uh, taking out all of these prophets of Baal. I'm sure that he was hungry. I'm sure he was tired. I'm sure his adrenaline was going crazy. But even in this moment, he said that there's something else I need to do. I need to separate myself so that I can pray. Now, one of the things that I notice when I talk to people about prayer is people talk about having challenges or struggles with prayer. I don't think there are many Christians uh, in this room, and there's certainly not many Christians uh, in my church, and I would include myself in this, that would say, I am really crushing my prayer life. Like, I think a lot of Christians would say, I know prayer is important, and a lot of Christians would say, I feel like I should probably be doing it more. And people really, when they talk about prayer, I think that there's two real struggles that they have with prayer. First is quality. When I do pray, am I actually uh, doing a good job? Is there a connection between me and God? Is anything happening? And the second is consistency. Am I actually praying without ceasing? Do I have a life 
that is a life of prayer, a life that builds a rhythm of me talking to and connecting with God. Now, I want to talk about this idea of consistency for a moment. The reason that all of us, and again, I would include myself in this, I believe in prayer, I love prayer, and I look at myself as saying I have a really long way to go as growing and having a great life of prayer. But I think a lot of us struggle with consistency when it comes to prayer. And, and a huge reason for this is because we all are incredibly busy and life itself is incredibly busy. I know for me personally, my wife and I, we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And as you guys know who are parents of little guys, I mean, they are driving the ship from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed. And so we're doing really good to wake up just a few minutes before them and creep around the house trying not to wake them up and, and trying to make some coffee, trying to sit down, not turn on too many lights in case it, you know, sneaks into their room and they wake up. But the moment they wake up, they're ready to go. And then when you finally do get to bedtime, like you're tired, you're weary. You're not trying to be like, good, perfect, time for my four-hour prayer session. And I'm not just highlighting parents because I believe there's students in this room and you guys are, are busy with school. There are young professionals. You're just starting your job. You're trying to get connected and you're trying to serve and there's all these different things. There's all of these people, uh, people who are uh, advanced in your career. You have a ton of responsibility. You have kids who are grown. You have grandkids and grandkids take up a lot of time. And so each one of us have busyness and each one of us have priorities. And I'm not here to yell at anybody for being busy. But, but what I will say is this, there is always something that is more urgent than prayer, but there will be, there, there will rarely be something more important than prayer. So there's always something more urgent than prayer, there will rarely be something more important than prayer. And we have to have a place of prayer in our lives. Now this could be a physical place, this could be a physical time, but what I'm really talking about here is in order for prayer to be effective, in order to build a life of prayer, a rhythm of prayer, we have to be like Elijah, and we have to separate ourselves for a short time from the demands of life, from the distractions of screens, and we have to disconnect and we have to get quiet before God. We need a place of prayer. This is what Oz Guinness says, and I think this is a wonderful quote. He says that the call of God always requires of us a break from anything and everything that invites us to conform to the surrounding society and therefore clashes with the goals and requirements that God has in mind for each of us and for humanity. God has an incredible plan for your life. God has an incredible plan for your family and for our church. But that requires of us a separation from the daily demands, a separation from the, the daily distractions, and a time to say, I'm going to get before God. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to break away. I'm going to separate. I have a place for prayer so that I can connect with God. This is how Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, some, some teachers call this the secret place, that you and God have a secret place together. 
where you set aside time to seek him. You set aside time to be devoted to him. That includes reading scripture, but that also includes prayer, praying to God. And and the only way that I know to, to actually build consistency in a life of prayer is to have a place in your life that says, this is my place of prayer. That could be a physical place. I have a physical place. I have a patio outside. And, and even when it's dark, I have my little Pinterest LED lights that I plug in. And I sit out there with my coffee. And, and before my kids get up, hopefully, before the sun comes up, I'm sitting and I'm praying and I'm reading the Bible. And, and listen, you don't have to do it like me. I know that there could be uh, many different scenarios and many different seasons in life. But I would encourage you to have a place. If you're uh, a, a, fa- a family with young kids, maybe it's not going to be as much time as you once had. I know that I'm living in that time now. When I was a single, before, I, uh, before my wife and I had kids, we had a lot more space and availability. Now we're having to get a lot more creative with it. Maybe it looks like for you, instead of when you're driving into work, that you're not listening to a podcast or you're not listening to music, but that is a time to memorize scripture, to listen to a teaching, to pray. Whatever it is, you got to get creative with your season. Don't try to compare yourself to somebody else. Don't try to be like, oh, well, I'm going to do, I feel like I should be doing more, but just say like, God, what do you want me to do? Where can I have a place of prayer in my life? That's the first thing is a, uh, the place of prayer. Now let's look at posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 42. We see that Elijah bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. I believe that's called the child's pose. Just kidding, just kidding, okay. Um, no, but Elijah, he, he, he had a, a posture of humility. He had a posture that said, God, like, I am recognizing that you are greater than me, that you are beyond me, and I am humbling myself before you. And and I think, you know, earlier we talked about this idea that there's two struggles. There's the consistency of prayer, but there's also the quality of prayer. I think a lot of people struggle with feeling like their prayers are quality times with God. I think that we can feel at times like, oh man, I'm trying hard, I'm praying, uh, I'm I'm asking God for things and maybe it's not answering or I I was expecting to go into prayer and I was expecting for it to be this incredible experience, this powerful experience with God and and I was having trouble even keeping focused. I was getting distracted a lot. I maybe like fell asleep and nodded off a few times. I definitely thought about work a little bit. Me personally, I guarantee you, I've thought about golf a couple times while I've been praying. Can, it, can anyone relate to this? Like you really want to pray, you believe in prayer, but it's hard. It could be hard to have a quality prayer time. Well, well, let me tell you, first off, I do think that God designed prayer to be a challenging discipline at times. But because what prayer is, prayer is, is, is the opposite of so much that we experience in our culture. Because we experience in our culture we expect it to be immediate gratification. We expect it to feel great and the results to happen right away. Even in our culture with our phones, we are used to a a new bit of entertainment and stimulation popping up every 30 seconds. Like all we have to do is swipe up to the next fun video. 
And prayer is not like that. Prayer is time with God where we are focusing our mind, focusing our attention, focusing our thoughts on the creator of the universe, the Holy One. He is beyond us. There is no one like him. And so part of prayer is designed for us to actually be shaped and formed over time. God changing us and shaping us through the discipline. So, so I'm not going to say that and sit here and guarantee, okay, you, you start praying the way that I'm telling you to pray, and it's going to be very entertaining, and it's going to be awesome, and you're going to feel this incredible experience every time. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I will say is this. I do believe that sometimes we don't feel like we have quality prayer because our posture is wrong. Because we go into it looking for something instead of going into it looking to someone. This is how Jesus said that we should start our prayers. This is the, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer that he taught in Matthew chapter 6. And he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this model prayer, Jesus is saying we start our prayer by looking up. Elijah started his prayer by kneeling down, by putting his face to the earth, by saying, God, you are great and you are holy. And so I want to encourage you as you start your prayers, start your prayers by actually seeking God and saying, God, I'm here for you. I'm here to worship you. I'm here to, to praise you. I'm here to bring glory to your name. And yes, I do have some requests. I do have some needs, and I'm going to ask for those things. But I'm going to start by praising you. I have a posture of reverence towards you because God is holy, but he's also close. He is our Father. Now, now, here's a really practical tip for this. Because one of the things that I have discovered is that uh, when we start to try to praise God, and when we start to pray and thank God for things, what I've discovered is that there are times uh, when we kind of very quickly run out of adjectives for what to say. And I don't know if anyone's ever been in this situation, but like, I'll be like praying and I'll be like, God, you're so awesome and you're really great and you're, you're very cool and you're awesome. I know I said that one already, but I just feel like I should reemphasize it for, for point. And you're amazing. You know, I'm just like trying to come up with these like adjectives. And it's like, I got like four adjectives to talk about God, okay? Has anyone been there like this before? You're trying to praise God and you're like, I got nothing. I'm sorry. Like, you're great. You know, and awesome again. I said that before. So here's, a, here's something that someone taught me and I just want to pass it on to you. When it comes to bringing praise and glory to God, one of the best things that we can do is praying scripture back to God. The Psalms are literally God's worship book. He authorized it. His people penned it and wrote it. And so for you, one of the best things that you can do if you're looking to start your prayer time and have a quality prayer time with a posture of reverence to God, start in a psalm. Pick any psalm and just start reading. And when you get to a place that talks about the character of God, start praising God for that. God, you are my shield. Man, I'm going to start praising God because you're my shield. I wouldn't have thought about that when I thought about awesome. I wouldn't have thought about shield. And, and so I'm going to start thinking about when are times when God has protected me? When are times when God has gone before me? When are times when God has stood against a problem? 
And I'm starting to praise that. God, you are my refuge. You are, uh, you are like, th- there's, there's, all these incredible, uh, there's all these incredible promises over and over again that are listed in the Psalms. And so you could start, you get to one, and you just camp out on that one when you're done, move to the next one. And you're not going to get bored doing that, I promise. There's 150 Psalms. It's a powerful way to have a posture of reverence to God. So we talked about posture in prayer. Number three, I want to talk about persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. If you look at verse 43 with me, it says this. Elijah said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and said, there is nothing. And again, Elijah said, go again and seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. So we've seen that Elijah has a place of prayer. We've seen that he has a a posture of humility and reverence towards God. But we also notice that Elijah has persistence in prayer. That over and over again, he continues to ask and continues to intercede for the need that God has put on his heart. He doesn't just pray one time and be like, I guess it wasn't God's will. He keeps praying. He keeps seeking. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And uh, Jesus, he told a parable. And it's one of the most interesting parables that Jesus ever told. Parables are truths that Jesus wants to illustrate to us. And the way that he illustrates those truths to us is he tells us a story. And the story that he tells is a story of a woman who is a widow. And he tells the story about a judge who is an unjust, a corrupt judge. And at that time, uh, being a widow was one of the most socially vulnerable positions that you could be in. And and so uh, this widow had some needs. She had been deprived. Uh, There were some people who were uh, holding back what was due to her, and she was in hunger. She was in need. And so she goes to this judge. But this judge is a corrupt judge. He is a, a judge with a hard heart. He has no compassion in his heart, and so he rejects her. But Jesus says she keeps going back. Every day, the judge shows up to work or to the golf course or to wherever it is, and this widow is there. She is there talking, and she is there asking, and she is there making her request. Hey, I have something that's due me. I need you to intercede for me. I need you to step in. And and Jesus makes this powerful remark. He says that even though the judge is corrupt, even though he is unjust, he is going to give her what is due to her because of her persistence. Basically, uh, she wears him down. And he's like, listen, I don't care about you. I don't have compassion in my heart for you, but I'm still going to do what you need just to get you off my back. Now, Jesus makes this point because he's saying, listen, if even persistence works with a corrupt, unjust judge, how much more your heavenly Father who loves you and has a heart for you and would do anything for you, how much more will he respond when you pray? Now listen, some parables, you actually have to figure them out and it's hard and it's difficult and challenging to know what the meaning is. But what's really cool is Luke, he's the one who records the parable and he helps us out. 
And in verse 1 of Luke 18, he actually just gives us the meaning of the parable right off the bat. He just tells us. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and that they should never give up. Isn't that great? I love that. We, we need to learn this. We need to remember about this unjust judge and this woman. We need to remember about Elijah praying seven times. Just so you know, we should always pray and we should never give up. Um, at Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, uh, the church that I uh, get a chance to be one of the pastors at, um, we have uh, gone through kind of a, a challenging season over the past like three to four years. And I think like Every church in America, like when COVID hit, like that was a challenging season. And we had a lot of other stuff that was kind of uh, unique challenges that went along with that to our context. And uh, we went through a, a pastoral transition and a, a leadership transition. And uh, God has just been really good and really faithful to us. And uh, starting like a year and a half ago, um, that's kind of when the transition took place. And uh, at that time, we were just like really unsure, like what's going to happen? Um, is, is this church going to still be around in two years? I mean, it was just kind of one of those things where it was like there was a lot of uncertainty there. And we have just seen God's kindness and God's favor. And we are seeing people uh, getting saved every week. We are seeing uh, marriages being restored every week. We are seeing lives being changed to the glory of God. And one of the things that as I started reflecting on this, I started kind of looking at it, and I was kind of looking at the math. And I was like, it doesn't make sense that it's going this well. Like, like all the sort of like outside metrics should say this should be a disaster. Like this should be going really bad. But, but as I started getting more and more involved and stepping into more of the leadership roles within our church, one of the things that I realized was like we have a praying church. We have a church that loves to pray, and we have some incredible people at our church that are dedicated to praying. Um, when I get up and, and preach um, on a weekend, um, it, I, I can't explain it, but man, it just, it feels like the Holy Spirit just steps in and fills me up, and I just feel like I have a message and a word for the people. But it's amazing because there's this incredible lady. She goes to our nine o'clock service, and her name is Joy Russell. And she has been praying faithfully for our church for over 20 years. But every Saturday night, as I get up to speak, she is at her home and she logs in online and she watches the message. And while she's watching the message, she is praying for me and praying for the people who are hearing it. Then she comes to the 9 a.m. Then she comes and is part of our prayer team. Then she drives home and she opens up her computer and she watches the 11 a.m., and during the 11 a.m., she is praying for my message as I'm preaching. Okay? That's incredible. Now, I want to say one thing really quick just as a pause. Some of you guys here, uh, God has given you a heart for intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer, all that is, is you are behind the scenes praying for someone else. You're going to God, and you're carrying someone else to God, and you're saying, God, I want to pray for this person. In intercessory prayer, uh, it can be a challenging uh, gifting, and it can be a challenging calling because it's behind the scenes. You're praying, and you're seeing things happen, and maybe God's showing you, man, your prayers are working, but, but no one's giving you the credit. 
right? Like it can be easy uh, after Pastor Josiah preaches to be like, man, that was an incredible message. And by the way, I think you should encourage your pastor. Like you definitely need to, uh, you can't over-encourage people, I think. And so please encourage your pastor. Please encourage the leaders of your church. But intercessory prayer, oftentimes no one sees it. But it is an incredible calling from God because you're literally calling on heaven and asking him to move in a powerful way. But we must have persistence in our prayer. Jesus taught and he said, you must always pray and never give up. One more story I'll share about uh, persistence in prayer. And I don't think, once again, that I'm the greatest model of this. I have a lot to learn and a lot to grow in. But uh, about like seven years ago, um, right when uh, my wife Katie and I got married, we were shopping one day and, uh, at uh, Publix. And we met this uh, guy who was just um, scanning our groceries. And I won't use his, his real name, but his name, I'll call him Phil. And so Phil, uh, he, he and I just started talking and we started connecting. And for some reason, I just felt like drawn to, to just show him love. And, and so we talked and then we would run into him the next time and the next time. And finally, I reached out to Phil and I was like, hey, let's get coffee. And so we started getting coffee and he started to tell me his, his life story. And he told me that he had been raised um, kind of in a cult and kind of a, a gnarly uh, religious situation and that uh, his he had kind of a, a lifestyle that his parents didn't agree with and so he had been rejected from that lifestyle or he had been rejected from his parents and so he had a, a lot of religious hurt he had a lot of religious trauma and uh, he hadn't actually talked to his family in over five years and I just had a heart for him and I just started praying for him and we met up over uh, every six months or so. We would grab coffee. We would go to a restaurant and talk. And throughout that time, while we weren't talking, I would be praying for him. Whenever I'd think about people who I wanted in my life to meet Jesus, I would bring up Phil's name, and I would pray and ask God. And there would be some things that I would see, like once he called me, and he was like, hey, I just had a really weird dream. There was like some crazy, like, you know, Greek mythology going on, and like, can you help me explain it? And I was like, I, I cannot explain it for you. I'm sorry. Like, I wish I could, but I can't. But, but I just kept praying for him. And then uh, two months ago, he texted me and he said, Brian, I just want to let you know, I gave my life to Christ today. And you're the only Christian that I know, and you've been such an incredible influence in my life. And, and listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've probably, like, in seven years, hung out with him seven times. Like, like we're not, like, best friends. But man, I was persistent in prayer. And I saw God move in a powerful way. I got a chance to, to give him his first Bible. And I got a chance to show him where to start reading. And we're praying for him. He, he, he's, got, he's got a long way to go. But man, we're so glad that God is moving in his life. The power of prayer. Now, the last thing I want to show you is this. Yeah, we can cheer for that. We can clap for that. And you can pray for Phil. The last thing I want to talk about is the paradox of prayer. The paradox of prayer. Now, I love the word paradox. It's one of my favorite words. And paradox means that there are two things that seem to be contrasting, but they are both true. It's two things that seem to be opposite, but they're both true. I'll give you an illustration to, to demonstrate. Um, a few uh, months ago, or actually a couple years ago, um, I got sucked in online to one of these like online quizzes. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, which Disney character are you? Okay, let's be honest. Like, we've all been sucked in. And this one, it was like a fitness quiz, and it was like, which body type are you? So I did all the inputs. I, I put in all the data, and I got the body type 
skinny fat. <laughs> and like I was at first obviously offended. Secondly, immediately spent $99 on the website trying to buy their supplements. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But no, I got to, and I thought about it, and I was like, that actually, it's a paradox, but it's actually true. Because, like, I, I wouldn't say, like, n none of my friends have ever been like, hey, Brian, like, we're worried about you. But no one's ever come up to, be in and to, come up to me before and been like, what's your secret? You know, so I'm skinny fat. So that's a paradox. But prayer is also a paradox. And I, I put up these three thoughts that are on the screen here. And this is the paradox of prayer. The first thought is this. God is sovereign and accomplishes everything that he wants. Do we believe that? Like God's on the throne. God is not like freaking out and worried. Uh, God is like, my plans are being accomplished. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered. And we have all seen that. Like, or I should maybe say they don't get answered in the way and the timing we want. Okay. Sometimes that happens. But here's the third thing, and this is what I really want to, to, to camp out on for a moment. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. God is sovereign. He accomplishes all that he wants, and prayer changes things. Now, theologians for a long time have been trying to kind of categorize and figure that out. And here's where I come down. I don't know. I don't know how both of those things are true. And I don't really try to figure it out because I don't think I'm smart enough to explain it. But what I do know is I know God is sovereign and I know he's in control. And I know that prayer changes things. I know that God put the story of Elijah in the Bible to show us prayer moves the heart of God and prayer moves things in the universe. We look at the story of Daniel. We look at the story of Abraham, Hannah, Hezekiah. There's so many examples in the Bible where people are crying out to God and they're moving the heart of God and something changes because of the prayers of righteous people. And I have something uh, that I call holy imagination. Holy imagination. And we talk about this at our church and we talk about this uh, at our young adult ministry, the harbor that I, that I lead. And holy imagination means this. Um, it doesn't mean that we just pray our bucket list to God, right? Now, I think it's okay to pray and to ask God for things. Um, I think it's okay to ask God for silly things or selfish things. Sometimes uh, when my son Isaiah and I go on walks, I'm like, what do you want to see today? We were going on a walk, a nature walk the other day, and he's like, I want to see a manatee. And I was like, you know what? Let's pray right now. And we said, dear God, help us to see a manatee. We saw three manatees that day. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I don't know. He prayed. He's righteous. I don't know. Um, so it's okay to pray for, for selfish things or for small things. But, but when I say holy imagination, what I want you to think about is we're not praying our bucket list. We're actually saying, God, you're holy. I want to know your word. I want to know your heart. So I'm not trying to pray selfishly, but I'm also wanting to say, use my imagination and say, God, what is it that you may want to accomplish in my family? What is it that you may want to accomplish at Exchange Church? What is it that you may want to accomplish in my neighborhood, on my campus, at Deerfield Beach? And God, I'm asking and I'm praying big prayers. I think the two extremes that I oftentimes see Christians get into is the first one is that they just pray kind of selfish prayers all the time, me-focused prayers all the time. 
But then the other extreme is that sometimes we try to get so sort of rigid in our prayers that we're like, we, we never advance and we never pray anything big. Sometimes we're too afraid to get disappointed or we've been let down before, so we don't pray big prayers. We don't pray bold prayers. And I want to encourage you, pray big prayers because you have a big God. I want to encourage you that the people that are on your heart that you want to invite for Easter, invite them. Pray that God would move in a powerful way at the extravaganza. Pray that in a couple of weeks, we're going to see people get baptized and see lives change on the week after Easter at our baptism service. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your community. Pray for your campus. I'm going to close with this verse. And uh, remember, I told you the story of the, the unjust judge and the widow. And Jesus, he gave this story to us. And then this is the last verse that he gave. It's in Luke chapter 18, and he asks this question as kind of like a cliffhanger question after his teaching about the unjust judge. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So what he's saying is, I'm leaving, I'm going back to heaven, and my question is, when I come down, when I return, I am returning, I'm coming back, when I return, will I find my people full of faith? praying big prayers, believing that I can move in a mighty way. I've, I've challenged myself with this thought recently, and I want to challenge it with you as we close. If right now God answered all the prayers that you're praying, what would change in this community? W would your life just get slightly better? Or would people get saved? Would this community change? Would this auditorium fill up? I want to challenge you to pray big prayers. And I want to challenge you to believe big things. Because we have a big God and we have a powerful God. And he moves and he responds when his people pray. Pastor Josiah is going to come up, but as he does, I just want to close out our time in prayer. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Thank you for this amazing church. God, I pray that you would put on the hearts of these men and women to be a people of prayer. I pray that as they seek you, that as your word says, that you would reward them. Reward them with intimacy with you. Reward them with transformation change of their hearts, change of their minds, and reward them by seeing you move in power in their lives and in their communities. God, I do pray a blessing over Exchange Church, and I ask that you would do powerful and mighty things through this body. I ask that people would get saved. I ask that people would get baptized. I ask that people's lives would be changed. I ask that people would be called into ministry, and may the next year be the best year, a year of, of growth, a year of amazing blessing, a year of you moving mightily, a year of breakthrough here at Exchange. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, guys, thank you so much for letting me share with you. Thank you, yes, appreciate you, man, thank you. Oh, that's sweet. Um, what was that lady's name, Joy Russell? What was the name? Joy Russell. We need some Joy Russells, man. Oh my goodness, and I think we have some. Listen, here's what we're gonna do. Um, when you guys walked in, hopefully you got this little card, right? 
Um, if not, we'll pass them out. We'll get some people to pass them out. But there's this little card. It just says pray and believe, and there's three blank spaces. Here's what we, we want to do. We want to respond to this, obviously. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. So our hope is this right now. Um, would you? There might be a pen at the end of the row. Maybe you can find one next to you. Maybe you do save this at least, but um, we'll be passing some of these out. There should be some pens around you. Here's what we're going to do. Would you just pray through a few names you can write down and then like put those names down in the next two weeks? We just want to be intentionally praying for a family member, um, for a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student <laughs> at your campus, whatever it might be. We just want to be in prayer for them specifically. All right, so we're going to ask this. We want to pray expectantly. Pray and look up. Pray and look up. Pray and look up. So um, look up. Say, Lord, would you bring this person to church? Jesus, would you save? Maybe they never come to the church, but maybe they encounter Jesus. So we want to be just in prayer. So grab this card. Hopefully you got one. You're going to get one now. If not, write a few names down. And we're going to do two things. One is this. One, write the names down now. And two, pray over those names now. We're also just going to turn this into a time of just worship and prayer. Um, we want our God's house to be a house of prayer, and so we're going to do that. So church, find a pen, write down a few names, put this in your pocket, put this on your fridge, in your car, in your Bible, use as a bookmark, whatever it might be, and just pray. Maybe, maybe it's every lunch break, maybe it's every morning, every evening, but find a, that place a prayer that you can go, I'm going to pray over these names truly, very intentionally every morning or every lunch break. And I'm going to just be asking God to save, restore, that maybe it's a family member you haven't talked to in a while. Maybe it's something like that. We're going to ask that you pray. We're going to ask that after a few days, maybe you text them. Maybe you, you don't text them right away and praying for you. Maybe you text them. They're like, hey, the Lord laid in my heart. I just want to know I'm praying for you. Maybe you invite them out to church. Maybe you just reach out in some capacity. But we just want to be intentionally praying for people. So again, grab that pen, write down a few names, use this as a bookmark in your Bible, bring this with you. Let us just be people of prayer. Yes? Um, we're going to also worship as well. So feel free to worship, to write, to pray. We just want to have a, a response time now where God does a work in us. So again, I will pray one more time, but um, we just want to turn this into a place of worship and prayer. So Jesus, we just want to say thank you. There is no one like you. You have the name above all names. We are here because of you, Jesus, that we are made by you and for you, that this is your church, that Jesus, you save, you redeem, you restore. Lord, we want to pray for our family members, our friends, our neighbors, just those, those fills out there, those people by name, that Jesus, maybe you are, you've laid them on our heart for a very intentional reason. God, maybe you just want to save and we think they're, they're unsavable or they're too far away. Lord, we know that your hand is not so short that it cannot save. We know that no one's too far from you, that you do leave the 99 for the one. We want to enjoin you, God, in prayer for that one. So Jesus, would you just open our hearts and our eyes? God, would you lay people on our minds? Maybe the name we're writing down feels so obscure. But Jesus, we know that you you want to move. You want to restore. You want to save. And so we just ask Jesus that you'd be glorified in this, in your precious name. Guys, let's worship. Let's pray. We're just going to turn this into a time of worship and prayer.